Hi, everyone. You're listening to the Israel Connection on the Beth El Podcast Network. I'm Esti Zanati, and my guest today is Rabbi Dana Sorokin of Beth El Congregation. Hi, Rabbi. Hi, Esti. So um, recently you came back from a 52-hour trip to Israel. Uh, can you tell us about your trip? What was the mission behind it? Sure. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I, I was on the ground in Israel for 52 days, and actually the people that I traveled uh, with were actually there for even less time. Um, the point of our trip was, one, to, to stand with Israel, both not only in spirit but also in body. And our hope was is that going and visiting Israel at this time would be a significant statement to, to the people of Israel and the and the the people that we care about that that we haven't forgotten them that we are there with them um, and that we are that we are we wanted to stand in solidarity at a time that's really hard the other reason that we wanted to go to Israel is that we wanted to bear witness to all that they'd experienced on October 7th and afterwards so the idea was that we were going to meet with survivors we were going to meet with evacuees we were going to meet with people that were in leadership roles in the community that we're going to tell us the stories of what they experienced and what they still are experiencing, because in many ways, as you know, SD, um, this this trauma, mm -hmm. you know, has did not. It's it began on October seventh, but it did not end on October seventh, um, and that was definitely one of the the things that I came to learn is that there is no such thing right now as PTSD because we're not post anything. No, we're still in, in the yeah. trauma. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if people know or understand that, that since that day, and even long before then, for years now, but ever since that day, uh, Hamas has been throwing rockets at Israel all around the country. And not only Hamas, Hezbollah has been throwing rockets as well. So we're pretty surrounded by enemies that are trying to destruct Israel. And it's it's been a crazy and difficult time. And having family in Israel... Um, who have been who are living in these areas? It's hard. I mean, and and it's very appreciative that you guys went there to see everybody and speak to people that have been through it because more often than not, it doesn't happen. Not yeah. everybody comes to see what's going on and right. to witness it firsthand. You know, as Esty, with what you were saying, I have a couple of of sort of responses to share. The first is that um, Rafi and I lived in Israel. It was our first year of marriage, and the second intifada. Um, and so I remember so clearly, and it still stays with me today, um, how isolated and how alone you feel when you're in Israel. I mean, when you think about how American Jews feel nowadays, mm -hmm. you know, as we sort of watch the TV and we follow social media and, and that feeling of, you know, being isolated, um, alienated, sort of without a place at the table. And, and I think it was that, and, and even more so when you're in Israel, and you're you're not necessarily feeling the support of right. the other, and so it felt, you know, as you were saying, it felt so important for us to go. And I wasn't really sure how they would, you know, how we would fit in, right? Like there's yeah. a part of me that felt like uh, a bit concerned, right? So this we weren't there to tour, we weren't there to be, you know, you know, taken care of. We wanted to come and do or give or bear witness or listen. Like we wanted to do those things, but we weren't even really sure. I wasn't really sure, you know, what that would look like and how that would feel. And the truth is, is that every person that we met with really thanked us and we did not go to be thanked. Um, but what I, what I understood from our interactions was that having Jews from around the world or allies from around the world coming to visit when it's hard mm -hmm. 
it makes a difference. And oh, yeah. it feels like, you know, we can't we can't only be fair weather that we come when like the weather is beautiful and you know everything yes, feels exactly. peaceful. So it, it felt like, yeah, like this is what it means to be family. We show up when it's hard. Yeah. A lot of people online, a lot of influencers or uh, activists online, not necessarily Jewish, they said it ever since this whole thing happened. Um, they've been getting a lot of thank you uh, messages from Israelis and Jews, but especially Israelis, thanking them for what they do. And they, they said, nobody ever thanked us for this kind of thing. That's how crucial yeah. it is. That's how much, yeah. you know, how lack of support there is mm -hmm. for Israel. So it's very important. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's so interesting to me, Esty. Another thing that surprised me in my interactions with people is that one, they did say thank you, which felt to me like, my gosh, like I deserve none of that. And you deserve, you, you deserve appreciation and gratitude that we cannot possibly as Jews, you know, outside of Israel, like ever even find the words to convey. Like you are standing, like you... <laughs> You are standing in this place where you are vulnerable. You are sending your children and your grandchildren and your spouses into Gaza. Like you are fighting this war, not only for yourselves, but for the existence of Israel and for the entire Jewish yes. people. Mm -hmm. Like there is no way to ever thank the, you know, the Israeli community, you know, for, for, for taking that on, on behalf of, of all of us. Yeah, and it's not just Jews. I think it's the world. The world in general is kind of in danger right now with all the terrorist groups around there. So mm -hmm. um, what were a few m very memorable encounters that you had during your trip? Yeah. So it's interesting. There were actually so many. It's incredible to think that in 52 hours, um, there were so many sessions and encounters that will stay with me. Um, I'm going to say that one of them, and I'm just going to start here but not end here, um, was our time in Ashkelon. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote in a blog that I'd never been to Ashkelon. As it turns out, I was wrong. I did. I did a cooking <laughs> class with Ethiopian Jews in Ashkelon. I had been there once before, um, but I hadn't spent much time there. And one of the things that really, you know, was was so powerful to me is just driving through Ashkelon. And the truth is, is that, you know, as you know, ST, there are 200,000 people. Uh, people in Ashkelon, they can't relocate 200,000 people. It's just too many. Right. And so while a lot of the kibbutzim have been evacuated and those people are now living in hotels all throughout Israel, um, you know, the the people in Ashkelon who are, you know, uh, who are in and out of bomb shelters all day and all night long, they actually have to live, you know, in a code orange and so they stay put, only half of the people in Ashkelon, which is our partner city, yeah. only half of them have shelters to run to. And one of the really interesting things that's like heartbreaking is that not everyone can run. You right. know, if you're, if you're elder, if you are infirmed in any way, if you, you know, if you are physically incapable of, of walking or running or in a wheelchair, I mean, there's such an, an accessibility problem yeah. that, you know, even for those people who have access to shelters, many of them just can't get there. So I think that that was one thing that really struck me. And then driving through the cities of Ashkelon, like the city, you see the houses that had rockets fall into the dining room or the living room or the bedroom. And you really are aware of, of you know, sort of how much of a toll living in that way takes on you. And, and Ashkelon has a beautiful beach, you know, a beautiful water. Yes. 
but they can't go. Like they can't swim now because they're just letting the rockets fall into the water because yeah. it's just not financially worthwhile for them to use, you know, their their systems to to shoot them down. And so it's an interesting thing. Like, that's closed. The beach is closed. The mayor had to talk to the shop owners to get them to open up their shops sometimes so that people have access to food and water. Like, it's unbelievable. Another thing that was really meaningful to me is, um, oh, gosh, we met with survivors, um, especially the survivors that we spoke to from Kafar Aza. Mm -hmm. um, it's a kibbutz that is extraordinarily beautiful, and it, it is a waitlisted kibbutz. Like, yeah. it was a place that you could barely get into. It was that popular and that beautiful and that special. And what people were sharing, um, survivors of that day, were stories that I felt like were almost unimaginable. Like, it was hard to stay in their stories when they were telling you, you know, that the terrorists came into their home, five terrorists carrying, you know, big guns and standing, you know, standing over them. When they were telling you that they were watching in their safe room for 30 hours, waiting without access to anything except the WhatsApp, you know, of the kibbutz. Right. Um, and, and communicating with family members from afar, learning what was going on at their kibbutz, but they couldn't leave their shelters. And, you know, one person is telling us it took 30 hours for help to come. You know, the, the yeah. fear, and they could hear the screams, right? Like, they could hear the... Um, and, and sometimes, you know, this one woman that we were speaking to, she actually could see it. It was... She had just bought a new car, she explained to us, and... The car actually had a navigational system of some sort that had a camera on it. And so from her phone, she could access the camera on her car and she could see the terror that was happening wow. all around her, which is unbelievably terrifying. Yeah. And then just a, a third, you know, you asked what was so meaningful and impactful was that um, we went to visit Magin David Adom and it was unbelievable. We met with um, Yoni and Ronit and you know, what Ronit shared with me was that she was at the call center that day where all of the calls, if you sort of imagine our 911, mm -hmm. where all of these calls were coming in and callers were, were crying and screaming and pleading for help. And I asked her at some point, like, what did she say, you know, as the person on the other side of that call, when you knew that, that, there wasn't a system put in place that could respond to the, to the, um, to the sheer number and magnitude of calls and needs in that moment. And she sort of paused and she, you could tell she was sort of going deep into her memory. And she said, um, I, I said to them, I couldn't say to them, um, don't, don't worry, help is on the way. And she said that all she could say is, we know that you are there. Yeah, I've heard some of the recordings from the calls. And I also, there was something on the news, on the Israeli news um, last week. They showed how they operated. And you can hear the distress, obviously, from people hiding in their shelters, in their homes. They didn't know what to do. They knew that. Um, the terrorists uh, barge into their friends' homes, their families' homes, their neighbors right across. Uh, it's not even a street. It's just a little pathway, just right. across the pathway from them. And they're terrified for their lives. They had children, elderly, um, and the people on the other side just didn't know what to tell them. They yeah. kept telling them, oh, 
get into the mamad, which is a safe room, lock the door, lock the windows. But it didn't help, unfortunately, for a lot of them. It was just scary. And, you know, <coughs> I think, Esty, also one of the things that, um, that we also are becoming more and more cognizant of is that, you know, these stories that we're still hearing, right? I yeah. mean, the stories that we're still hearing, the fact that we still have you know, are people in captivity yes. under the under the earth of Gaza? Like this, this massacre is is still happening, and you know, in some ways, you know, the you know, with a little bit of time, people are telling their stories, and they are even more horrific than any human being could possibly imagine. Yeah, the, know, the more stories come out, the the worse it becomes. Like you you hear. It's just more horrific every single time. And right now they have um, 138 in captivity still. Um, among them are now 11-month-old baby Kfir Bibas and his four-year-old brother Ariel Bibas and their parents, Shiri and uh, Yarden. Um, and they've been killing men every single day. You can hear about a new man that was murdered in there. And it's it's just it's horrible. And I... We need to get them out of there. We need to mm -hmm. bring everyone back home. But I feel like for the next few years, we're going to keep hearing stories yeah. from everybody. And then there's that whole question of what happens to the women. I mean, what happened to the women? What happens to the women, right? That it's sort of the unimaginable. And it's so painful. That was one of the things that I sort of took away from this trip was that people were talking about how they beat, murdered, you know, executed burns alive um raped you know raped yeah. and and i think that the the cap you know sort of the capacity for evil that we saw or that we that we've heard um and you know the the very fact that you know genital mutilations rapes on mass and then murders sometimes murders and then rapes like this there really are no words no it's unfathomable it's not something we've ever seen it just no words yeah it just it's horrible 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 Esty, i know we have to go so i'm gonna flip flip things around for a minute okay um you have been working tirelessly as an israeli on our team with a broken heart, with a mind that just won't stop, and with like love that can't, you know, be put into words for for Israel, for the land yeah. that you love and your and your home. How are you navigating these times? How does it feel for you to be so far when your heart is right there? Um, it's hard. Um you know, as a lot of people know, my entire family is in Israel. I've, I've lived there most of my life. Um, just that weekend when everything happened, I went to sleep on Friday night thinking there was just throwing rockets because that was a usual thing. And talking to my sister, she was like, oh, we have sirens again. We have to run to shelters. It's just rockets. So we all thought that's what it was. And I feel like, I mean, it's horrible that we got used to it, but that just how things are and have been. Um, and then waking up that Saturday morning, I don't think I've ever felt that way before. I was terrified. I, I didn't leave my phone 
the entire weekend I was talking to my family constantly and the first couple of weeks I don't even I have no idea honestly I have no idea how I've I came to work and how I worked and did all these things that we did and you know was with my daughter and everything um at the same time I I still feel like I'm in the twilight zone because I'm half there and then half here like physically I'm here but I'm my mind my heart are there yeah um I'll tell you like one interesting thing that happened I took jazz to eat outside and I was like in you know reading Israeli news like in Hebrew and reading posts for my friends in Hebrew and the wait the waitress next to me talked um like spoke in English to her friend and obviously we're in America but for a second I jumped mm-hmm. because in my mind my mind was like over there in my mind I thought that um I was g- going to hear Hebrew you know but mm. Then obviously I wasn't, so it was. It felt. It felt strange. I've never felt anything like that before. So. So Esty, I, I want to just say that, like you asked, you know, you sort of posed that question out there of like, I don't know how I got through the first weeks, and I would say that, you know, one of the ways that you did ki- get through the first weeks was that you stayed really busy making sure that we were all connected with Israel. Yes. You know, I mean, we started. You remember when we put you know, all of the pictures of, of those who are being held in captivity up on the seats and then it moved to another area in the Gorn. Like that 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 was you. You know, that was that was your research. That was your work. You know, a lot of the things that we've been doing for Israel, letters we've been writing, communications we've been having, you know, is is being generated by your love. And so I just want to say that like thank you. Thank you for being a bridge between our community and our people in Israel. And I know that this journey isn't over. And I know that, uh, you know, some say that there's a lot more still to come and that things will continue to get harder. I don't know. But I know that you are with us all as we pray for the people of Israel and the land of Israel and for our captives to, uh, to be safe and to come home. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Rabbi. Thank you for that, and I just hope for the best. You know, as it's it's hard, but hopefully, eventually, things will get brighter, and hopefully, Hanukkah will bring yeah. the miracle that we all need. Yeah, you know, the one thing that I heard repeatedly, Esty, in Israel was um, one, and, and you were speaking to this earlier. Like, in addition to the thanks, it was this concern for how we are in America. Yes, it was amazing how many people were following. At that point, it was. Um, what was happening on college campuses, mm-hmm. um, as well as like the protests in each of our like cities and communities. But now Rafi just got back. He went the week after I did. Um, and he said now the amount of people in Israel that are talking about the three presidents from Harvard, Penn, and yeah. MIT, he said, you, you, it's as if, you know, <laughs> it's as if. Yeah, I guess our battlefield is, uh, is an interesting one too. So... Yeah, my 94-year-old grandma is worried about us. She she keeps asking me, how are things over there? Is it crazy? Just yeah. be careful. Because they have each other, and they yeah. know something that we always have to remind ourselves, which is they are strong, they are resilient, they are resolute, they are focused. And I know that if any people can endure this, it's Israel and the Jewish people. Yes. Well, Rabbi, thank you so much. We have to wrap here. Thank you so much for being here. Let's continue the conversation. Um, Thank you guys for listening. This, is, this has been the Israel Connection on the Bethel Podcast Network. 
You can find all of our shows wherever you go to listen to your favorite podcasts. Remember to follow us on all of our social media platforms, including Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Bethel Balto. Thank you for listening. Until next time.